Welcome back to the Leaders We Need. I'm Joel Harder. Today on the podcast, we're going to begin with the first part of a bipartisan legislative panel discussion organized by Oklahoma Capital Culture just a few weeks ago. The panel discussion was part of the summer class of the Leadership Exchange Academy. And LEA is an organization that is working to shift the climate in Oklahoma to a higher level of engagement amongst all the people of our state. And they do this by empowering and equipping leaders in our state in order to foster a better understanding of public policy. And this panel discussion was a great part of LEA this summer. Before we get to the panel discussion, let me share a few things happening through Capital Culture. The session may have ended, but the work has not. We are scheduling events all across our state, just like the bipartisan panel discussion in this podcast episode. Additionally, there are leadership roundtables being planned. These are smaller events where you can join the conversation. The Oklahoma Legislative Fellowship Program for recent high school graduates, well, that's accepting applications right now. Go to our brand new website, www.capitalculture.com, to find updated lists of events, when they're scheduled, and how to join us. On August 26th, and I'm really excited about this, we are having a Night of Hope with Bob Goff, hosted by Governor Kevin Stitt and First Lady Sarah Stitt. If you click on the link at the top of the website that says Prayer Breakfast, you can learn more. Space is limited, and it's going fast. Finally, Capital Culture is making a real impact in the state capitol, breaking through cycles of incivility, promoting integrity, and helping elected leaders to lead better. I invite you to see it for yourself and join us. Come to a community event, a leadership roundtable, or another panel discussion with members of the legislature. Join us for a night of hope with Bob Goff. Civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Well, now to get to the first part of this bipartisan legislative panel discussion. I was very honored and humbled to be joined by Representative Cindy Munson, who represents District 85 here in Oklahoma City. Uh, Representative Munson was elected in 2015 and became the first Asian-American woman elected to the Oklahoma legislature. She currently serves as the House Democratic Caucus chair, and in the previous legislative session, her colleagues elected her to serve as the next leader of the Democratic Caucus in the House of Representatives. Also on the panel was Representative Gary Mize, who represents District 31 in Guthrie and Logan County. Uh, Representative Mize serves as the chair of utilities, and this session he was also the assistant floor leader. I am so very thankful to both Representative Munson and Mize. I'm very grateful for their time and their participation. I think you will find, as you listen to this conversation, both this first part and uh, the rest in the next episode, that there was extraordinary insight and authenticity some vulnerability in how they see both the problems of incivility in our politics, but also uh, the opportunities to overcome it and the ways that progress can be made from their perspective as elected leaders. Well, let's get into the first part of this conversation with Representatives Cindy Munson and Gary Mize in the bipartisan legislative panel discussion. Capital culture has enabled a 
different and a new atmosphere in state politics. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. The way this conversation is really going to roll is this is a chance for us to hear from leaders your perspective of really this big problem that we all know is out there, the incivility in our politics. From your perspective, from where you sit, actually navigating a state capital to try and put forth policy and do good and do things that you ran for office to try and accomplish, but navigate this problem that's permeating our, our culture right now. So I just want to begin, I'll start with you, uh, soon to be leader Munson. What are the major problems that you see driving the incivility in our politics? Good question. Uh, well, first, I want to say thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited about the conversation. Representative Mize and I are friends, so I think, and the first time we actually met each other was on a radio show. Yeah, that's so right. this feels very natural. Um, so, and, and I do have, see familiar faces, and um, of course, people I serve with and those who I've worked with in my capacity as a legislator, but also in other um, areas uh, with me working in nonprofit prior to running for office. So thank you for having me. I am such the idealist and optimistic person. Like I, when I first made the decision to run for office, I was hesitant because uh, my first thought was I was too young. I wasn't married. I don't have kids. And then I, and then, then I said, I don't know if you all are aware, but I'm a Democrat and now everyone's going to know I'm a Democrat. They may already assume that, but they're really going to know now. And some of the issues that I, um, you know, I have a stance on will become more and more public to my neighbors, my friends, my family members, and the people I went to church with. And so, um, you know, originally um, in, in the first couple of weeks when I was making the decision, even though I had always wanted to run for office or had the idea that I might run for public office at some point in my life, those were the, the thoughts that were really holding me back. And so once I started running for office, my first race was in 2014. So I started my work in 2013. Um, and what I was most surprised by was going door to door. And the first question coming out of everyone's mouth was, what is your party affiliation? It wasn't my name, it wasn't my background, it wasn't anything about what I cared about. Um, and at the time I was running against the late uh, Representative David Dank, who is, you know, he was an exceptional person and a great opponent because he was always respectful um, and he was deeply admired and respected in my district. And so um, I had to work <laughs> to get people to pay attention to me and to have conversations with me. When I first started running, that was the most eye-opening um, experience that I had. Uh, but throughout, since I've, I've ran for office just about every single year, it feels like since then, because I won a special election. But even now, I have represented House District 85 for six years, and I'm pretty active. I'm regularly on the ground knocking doors. I send out mail. I'm active on social media. I'm easy to contact. Um, and I'm quick to email people and call them back as soon as I can. 
But still, there will be folks who will answer the door and they'll say, well, are you a Democrat or are you Republican? Are you voting for Hillary Clinton or are you voting for Donald Trump? And to me, that those conversations are so deeply disappointing because we miss out on an opportunity to get to know each other and to recognize each other as human beings first and as Oklahomans and to get to a place of having a conversation about the things we truly care about. What I also think is fascinating is when I go door to door, I'll have people say things to me like, oh, well, when you go talk to Larry, he's a Republican. I'm the only Democrat on the street. And I actually know what everyone's registered because I have their voter registration information. But it's just so fascinating to me how people will make the decision on who people are, how they're registered, or what they believe based on the yard signs in their yard. While yard signs are great, although when you're a candidate, they're like the worst thing in the world, trying to manage those and get them out, and they don't vote, and they're expensive, they don't tell us everything about a person. And um, throughout my time running, I have knocked on doors with my opponent's yard signs in the yard, with Trump yard signs in the yard. Sometimes you'll go through my district and you'll see a green Cindy Munson sign next to a Donald Trump sign. And the reason for that is because it doesn't tell me everything. It doesn't tell me about every voter in the House and it doesn't give me a true opportunity to get to know what that individual person cares about. And so, like Joel was saying, I totally agree. I think we lean too much on our leaders on uh, when it comes to what it is that we should be thinking about and believing and what should we, we should prioritize. I think we as, you know, I'm still a constituent to some members, even though I am elected. Um, it is my responsibility as a citizen, as a community member, as an adult to have conversations with my neighbors and um, my family members sometimes are a little harder to talk to about issues, but to find places, you know, where, where, yeah, we disagree, but how do we continue to humanize each other and look each other in the eye when we're talking about the things that we disagree on? And I think that really starts at school and it starts at home and we have to practice those things as we're growing up. And I think there are missed opportunities, especially at home, to have a safe place to con converse about the issues that, um, you know, that children care about or young adults and their families care about. I'm very fortunate, though, my dad is a Republican. He always invited me to have conversations and ask questions about the things that I cared about. Um, he always asked, how did I raise two liberal daughters? <laughs> I'm like, I think you let us ask too many questions, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I was quick, you know, when I was young, I was always asking questions about where are the women? Where are the people who don't typically get chosen to be in places of power? I mean, I had that thought, you know, early on in junior high and high school and then obviously into college and now the work that I've done in nonprofit and as an elected official. One thing um, I'll end here that I try to do um, in my district when we could have in-person meetings, and we'll, we'll go back to those soon, um, I would have town halls, and it'd usually be about 20 to 30 people, and it's usually the same people who come who are really active and involved, but I, the way that I set up the room, it's not like this, and I do that on purpose. I don't have my constituents out there looking at me, and I'm behind a podium, and they just need to look to me for all the answers. I actually create a circle, and I have have everyone sit down and we're all equally sitting down together. I'm not standing up. I'm not using anything to, you know, make it as if I'm the one in charge. And it is so amazing what happens in those rooms. People will realize they're neighbors or they didn't realize they were neighbors, but I'm like, I knew y'all were neighbors because I've knocked your doors, you know? Um, and it's incredible the solutions they'll find together that don't, they don't even need me. It doesn't even need to go through the legislative process. It just needed them to talk to each other and they needed to find a way to work together. And so I think, I think the responsibility 
responsibility is on all of us. You actually encourage or discourage how your elected official will act at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. So if you continue to reward behavior that is dehumanizing or silencing, that's how they're going to act. Um, I'm grateful to live in a district where I have to work my tail end off every single time, because that reminds me that um, I don't I don't have the ability or the luxury, if you want to call it that, to play games. I have to I have to be a leader. Yeah. Um, I have to I have to behave a little differently, and I would anyways. That's just my nature, and so um, so yeah. I think it's on all of us, and um, I think it does start locally in our neighborhoods and our homes. Gary, what in addition to what? Cindy has shared, what are some of the other things that you see driving the incivility? Well, thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I want to I want to say this first and foremost. So I got really comfortable in this chair um, and th this is really who I am. And I'm really hopeful that the back of the chair does not break because <laughs> I'm really comfortable and I'd rather be here in a hoodie. Uh, in all honesty, um, it is not comfortable necessarily for me to have a shirt and tie on. Uh, if you look really closely, uh, you'll notice that my top button is never buttoned when I'm on the floor, so I think I'm actually breaking the rules. So yeah, thanks thanks for being here. And I, I want for this conversation to really flow, and I'm, I'm hopeful that I can communicate that way. Cindy said, Cindy, Representative Munson, <laughs> she, gave, she gave a lot of good stuff there, and, and I, agree with a, I agree with a lot of it. Um, I was taking notes, actually, when, when you spoke. And you said two things, navigate the disagreements. And I thought that was really good. Uh, and then problems as, we should look at problems as assets. So I wrote those two things down. And then the question, and as, as Cindy was talking, I don't know that I've necessarily looked at the work that we do there as I'm navigating a disagreement. I think I've naturally done that. I'm a middle child. So you come by that naturally anyway. Um, and one of my best, bestest friends in the world is former representative Jason Dunnington. And I, I campaigned for him. I went and handed out flyers. Now, if they had any questions, I'd say, Hey, you're going to have to ask him, because uh, we were different parties, different affiliations, but this was well before I ever thought I was going to throw my name in the hat. Uh, he was my buddy and he called me and said, Hey man, what are you doing on Saturday? Can you come pass out some flyers? And I said, absolutely. Um, and then we started talking and he encouraged me to get involved in the seat that I hold now was going to be an open seat. So we kind of entertained it. I come from a little bit different background in the sense that I never thought that I would uh, be an elected official. It wasn't really something that was on my radar, but I think that if more people focused on that idea, let's navigate this disagreement, not who's going to win this disagreement. And I'm going to push this down your throat, whatever policy idea comes from it, but how do we find the happy medium and navigate this, this space? I think we'd be way better off, and I could give you a good example. Um, I see two people in the room that I worked with on a, on a piece of uh, legislation. We got it passed this year, and one side agreed and was helpful, and the other side was a little less uh, hopeful that it passed, I would imagine, maybe. Um, but we talked about it and after the fact, and this individual may or may not have said, hey, I enjoyed the fruits of this le uh, legislation. So I think that's the best way. And I, and I said some of this this morning, 
Uh, we were at the chamber breakfast in Guthrie, uh, Edmond, and uh, Representative Stenson was there. And, and I talked about everybody working together. If, if you get the folks that are going to be touched by that piece of legislation or that idea, Let's let's figure out what the issues are. Heck, how the heck how the heck, how the heck are you going to know what needs to even happen if you don't know what the issues or problems are? I think you're better off if you if you have that conversation up front. They may not support it, but they may not oppose it. Um, and I said this. I can't remember if I said this is my third event today. Uh, I can't remember if it's the first one or or at lunch. But good idea is not specific to a political party. It's just not. Uh, another example of that this session, I had a bill that I'd worked on for three years and we finally got it finally got it passed. But at the tail end, when it was over in the Senate, I went over there to uh, make sure that the vote was going to uh, that was the vote was going OK or that it was going to pass. And the minority leader over there came over. Well, I've been in the building three years now and I had never actually spoken with this individual. And she walked up to me and she said, hey, I really appreciate this bill. And, and, and just to give you a heads up, here's what we did. We were putting in statute what agritourism was. And she said, hey, there were some, um, some issues, some groups that were coming against it. And I wanted to work with the bill because I felt like I understood you know, what you were trying to do and I've heard good things about you. And so she said, we just wanted to add to and say, agritourism is this, but it isn't this. And I said, gosh, Kay, I'd never thought about that. That's a really great idea. Thanks for making the bill better. I would imagine that doesn't happen a whole lot in that building. So I, I said to her, I said, I apologize for three years not having ever come over and talked to you. Uh, I said, now we, can, now we have open line of communication. I said, you can talk to me about anything. And if, if you have another idea on a bill that comes over and you think we can, you can make one of my bills better, tell me. Because um, that's what this is—that's what this is all about. Um, it's certainly not about the money, because the money ain't that great, and <laughs> the, the fame is only—I mean, it's kind of pseudo, right? I mean, it's not real. And I imagine when when I'm gone, that there won't be a whole lot of people that that remember that you were there. So I kind of look at it like I want my legacy to be that we did did some good, because I want to be able to go to sleep at night. And I want to be able to look myself in the mirror. And, so yeah, you didn't you didn't waste everybody's time up there. Uh, so that was one navigating the disagreements. But you said problems, looking at problems as, as assets, right? Yeah, looking at our differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, I mean that's if you really think about that, it makes sense. But the temptation is I'm just going to focus on where we agree. That's easy. Um, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. So you should focus on. The differences and the problems and, and areas of opportunity um, because it's only in that I think that you'll be better this illustrates perfectly why we have these conversations because I, I get to see that I, I get to see that those kinds of conversations and relationships and dialogue happens and it's sometimes surprising to realize that that's not what most people are seeing or thinking or assuming Actually, sometimes we'll have these conversations around the state 
I tell members it's the most natural thing for you because this is what you're doing every day and you're having those kinds of conversations, but it blows people's minds because they just don't think that kind of dialogue happens. Now, I have a lot of opinions as to what is fueling the difficulty in overcoming the incivility, but y'all sit in a very unique place as elected leaders going through everything you have to go through and, and, and holding that position three events today uh, and you know 17 more tomorrow from your perspective and you've named a couple of the different driving forces but what are the obstacles that you see to overcoming some of these driving forces Gary when we start back with you I think that I said this I said this earlier today I got to speak at the firefighters convention which is in Guthrie and earlier in the week I got to go to Woodcrest Fire Department because of an event that I'm, I may get to participate in on Sunday. So the firefighters do these trainings and a couple of years ago they did fire, uh, fire ops 101. So we got to go put the bunker gear on and go fight fire, all that stuff. Well, it was a controlled burn. So they're gonna do a live burn and they invited me back. And sometimes these things are really cool to go do. And, and I've got three kids, 11, eight and three and a half. And for the things that are safe for them to go to, I try to take them because they think it's fun. So we went and I got fitted. Well, we're, we're in a volunteer fire department and all their bunkers stuff, the extras upstairs in the attic. And so we're up there and I took the kids with me and my youngest was putting on a, a pair of boots while I was getting fitted. He found the boots and naturally he gravitated towards those. He does that in my closet all the time and then falls all over the place. We did the same thing at the fire department. He's got these big old boots on, they're up to his knees. And, and I had this idea I thought, man, one, he went right to it, wasn't scared, wanted to do it, wanted to try something new. Uh, but then I got kind of philosophical or as philosophical as I can be. Um, and I thought, you know what? He was, he was trying to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And, and I couldn't shake that thought. And I've thought about it all week because I was trying to figure out what I was going to say at lunch in the, the firefighters convention. And I came up with what I thought were good ideas. They may have thought it was really dumb. But I think we would be in a better place uh, as, a, as a country if we individually were willing to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. You don't have to buy them from them. You don't have to keep them and wear them, at, wear them every day. But I think it would give you a different perspective. Um, we all come into every situation with a natural predisposition and bias because of your upbringing and you know, all of that but a willingness to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes based on my personal religious beliefs. I feel like that idea is in line with what I was taught. And I think it's what Jesus would do. You know, I used to wear that bracelet too, back in the day when it was cool, uh, the WWJD bracelet. But you know, this was an opportunity getting into public service where you, where you have that opportunity on a regular basis. And there are some ideas and problems and situations that are brought to you and you think, oh my gosh, this is really silly. I don't want to walk in those shoes, but uh, I think you're better off if you do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's an unwillingness to do that um, as, as a country. I tell people this all the time. The temptations are no different for us, you know, but again, leadership is being willing to do the difficult stuff, the hard things, the things that others aren't willing to do. When I got into business years ago, somebody gave me this really 
good piece of advice. And he said the common denominator of success, and then there was a book and training, all this stuff, but the common denominator of success was being willing to do the things that unsuccessful people aren't. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a knock to, at them, the ones that, that were unwilling. He was just saying, if you want to be different, here's the recipe. Um, so I do believe that that is one of the answers to overcoming these problems is taking the opportunity, sit next to somebody that looks very different, talk to them. You don't, you don't have to agree. Jason and I have been disagreeing for 20 plus years about certain things, but there are a lot of things that we agree on and it's never kept us from having relationship. It's never kept me from calling him out on his golf game and how he cheats when we play golf. I hope he listens to this. Um, we did win. You left already, but we won. I got my trophy though the other day. <laughs> We've lived life together. He was the first non-family member to hold my middle child because he was at the hospital. He came and congratulated and we've laughed, we've cried. I don't care if he's a Democrat. I, I do not care. Uh, now I got beat up about it in my reelect last year. Um, but I told him early on, I said, I will never apologize for being your friend. All of this nonsense, you know, aside. That's great. What do you see as the obstacles? I think there are so many, but one thing I did want to say that I was thinking about, just to your point about the male pieces, I think we're at a place now where, and like you said about the Congress members, that it's um, something to be afraid of, to be friends with people from across the aisle. And I think that is really sad. And it's, um, it's really scary to think about where we are as a state and as a country that, you know, if I stand by Gary Mize, that that could hurt me or it could hurt him that I'm standing next to him. Um, when we have built a friendship, we've taken time. The entire time I've been in the legislature, my number one goal was to build relationships on the other side of the aisle and to humanize me (laughs) because I'm naturally going to do that. That's just sort of who I am, but it's really easy to demonize, you know, a democratic woman who, you know, votes a certain way on certain pieces of legislation. And and that's all you know of me is what you see on the floor, how I vote in committee, but you don't know anything about, you know, who I am or where that perspective has come from. And so I've actually heard this come up. It's bubbled up throughout session and it, and it truly, um, disheartens me and it makes me really sad, um, especially when um, part of this job, uh, the fun parts are when we get to go to events and do things and different activities. Like we were joking, we got to play in a top golf golf tournament um, on Monday morning, which is a fun Monday activity to do. But you know, those casual moments and the times that we're not all suited up and at the building and our ego starts to flare and all of that, um, it is, a chance to get to know each other and who we are as people before the title. Um, and so that just that just makes me really sad, so I wanted to make a comment on that. Mm-hmm. Um, this session has been one of the toughest sessions that I have been a part of, and I have been a part of sessions where we had no money, um, where there was a teacher walkout. Um, but this one in particular, um, was very frustrating for me. When you're a legislator, you know, you run for office because you want to make a difference. You want to work through the process, you want to get your ideas through the process, and you, and you want to go home and you want to tell the people who elected you that you were able to accomplish something. 
that is a very difficult thing to do. I think we, um, we take for granted how difficult that is. It's even more difficult when you are in a super minority <laughs> like I am. So it is very rare that uh, members of the Democratic caucus will get a bill through. So usually out, we have to figure out a different purpose. What is our purpose for being there? And what are the things that we can accomplish? And when we end the day, we can say these were our wins and this is where I was successful. Uh, most of us, contrary to what people may believe, don't want to come to the Capitol just to point out all the bad things that the majority is doing or all the things that we feel like we need to shine a light on. While that is a role of the minority, regardless of what party is in the minority, it can be um, really demoralizing and very frustrating, especially when you have good ideas that you know and think and believe will help your neighbors. And so I the way that I measure my success is how I am, one, handling myself, and how am I treating my colleagues, and then how am I educating my district. There were multiple pieces of legislation this session that, you know, whether it was intentional or not, seek to divide to keep Democrats and Republicans talking to each other, bills that are thrown up on the board that we know are going to be split down party line, and I had a few constituents who would reach out, you know, who felt very passionately about the way that I voted or the way that I spoke up. And each of them that called me and contacted me, I said to them, I said, thank you. I'm grateful that you're calling me about this transgender youth bill. I'm grateful you're calling me about this um, critical race theory bill that we're having a conversation about because you could just decide to think what you think about me or think what you think about Democrats and, and just, believe what you believe and, and forget about me. Uh, but instead, you took the opportunity to pick up the phone and ask me questions, and I have no reason to lie. Everything that I've said and done is out there, it's public. Um, and so I get an opportunity to educate them on the process. You know, you all don't care about the ins and outs of suspending rules and changing language and changing authors. And, you know, I have friends who are very smart, who are politically engaged, and they're like, what was this bill when it first got introduced? I'm so confused. And, you know, and so um, I had one conversation with a guy who is a conservative Republican um, who said to me, you know, I believe Democrats want to take guns. That's what you're passionate about. And I said, sir, I won't tell you his name. Come I am on. not interested in taking your guns, <laughs> you know? And we had this like 30 to 35 minute conversation that ended with, I told him, I said, you can call me about anything. You can email me about anything. I will answer you truthfully. And if you choose not to vote for me, that's your prerogative. And when people threaten me with that, I say, that's your prerogative. That's why we have an election every two years. But my job is not to appease you. My job is to, to be honest with you and to tell you about the process and processes and the things that I'm experiencing. Um, and at the end of that, he did send me an article of something that I totally disagreed with, but I was still grateful that he continues to talk to me because that's how we'll make a difference. That's how we overcome the obstacles is not choosing to um, decide what we believe about somebody and leave it at that. We're multidimensional people. I mean, think about yourself. <laughs> you're not just a register. You're not just registered with a political party or believe one thing, even within faith groups. I mean, we all have different 
lived experiences, like Gary said. And I think one of the most important things we can do is listen to each other. Um, during the pandemic, when I felt so powerless, I mean, I was struggling so much getting phone calls, as I think we all were, for, from people who were losing their jobs and their businesses were closing and their families were sick. And I'm like, I told my therapist, I was like, I cannot solve these problems and I'm a problem solver, so I need help. How am I gonna navigate through this? And there were days that were really dark because I was like, I don't know how to help everybody. And oh, by the way, I'm also struggling living through a pandemic because I am in fact a human being too, you know? Um, and so I just sort of redirected um, what my daily purpose was. And I just made a list of people that I would call back and I would just listen. I mean, people were sobbing and, and, and I just had no solutions for them other than wait till the federal money comes, wait till we get past this. I mean, I don't know. I can't just, um, and it's really easy and tempting to say, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of this. I can get that done for you because that's who we are. Regardless of what party or who we are, all of us want to fix problems for people. And so what I've learned, especially as, as someone in the building who well, I have gotten things um, passed and signed by the governor I'm very grateful for. I still um, have days where I'm like, what am I doing here? What is my purpose? I don't really, you know, I don't want to sit, stand up and just point out everything that I disagree with. That's not actually fun <laughs> and it's not life-giving. And so um, I have had to figure that out for myself. And I think many members of the Minority Caucus, whether they're in the House or the Senate, have had to figure that out too. But listening is something I think that we're really lacking because if we listened, I think over time, empathy and compassion would develop and um, walking in someone else's shoes would naturally happen and we'd be more cognizant of what our neighbors need versus our own need. What I've heard in both of those responses is some story of an actual conversation that uh, a constituent, an Oklahoman, a citizen has with you. And I, I, we can all kind of agree uh, in light of events of the last few months that there is a, there is a sense, an aspirational desire. This is not what we want. We want to do better. It's might maybe waned a little bit uh, with, with the passage of time, but there's still that aspirational sense. And we really want to move from the aspiration to the tangible, uh, to the tactical, practical things. And one of, it is a simple, maybe even obvious concept, but it is a bedrock principle and, and part of our focus with Capital Culture is focus on state and local leaders. Not that national leaders don't matter, not that actually this process of engaging leaders that doesn't work with national leaders, but there is a greater ability that we have to look at our problems with a little more sophistication. Uh, our problems are not simple, they're complex, and therefore they'll have complex solutions. And so when you look a little closer to home, I think the, adi the old adage is a pothole knows no party. Um, so the little closer to home you get, some of those, you know, and I think you both have said this, but just to actually articulate it, Everything just comes down to party. You know, what party are you in? And that's that's probably one of the great obstacles. And the closer you get to home, 
with the issues that you're focused on caring about, the more you're able to look beyond that. And it's also just a, it's just logistically more practical. A state and local leaders have smaller constituencies. There's greater opportunity to engage and build a real relationship with them. And so focus on state and local leaders uh, because you can actually have those kinds of interactions. You can build those kinds of relationships and actually encourage them to be better leaders. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.